One of the most important life skills is how to resolve conflict. Yes, of all the life skills that you think and I think of that are most important, I'm here today to tell you that one of the most important life skills is how to resolve conflict. Yet the only problem with that is that we were never taught how to resolve conflict. We were never taught how to do it. So today I want to give us eight, uh, eight exercises for resolving conflict. Actually today in part one, I'm going to give us four. And then next week, I'm going to give us four more exercises as we look at part two of resolving conflict. Now this sermon and next week's sermon on resolving conflict is primarily talking about uh, in marriage, yet I don't want you to tune uh, out or turn this off if you're not married, and here's why. We all deal with conflict in relationships, and th again, this is a life skill that you need to learn because you're going to need it. You're going to need to know how to resolve conflict with a coworker, with friends, with family members, with a parent, if you have children, uh, at church, this is a life skill that is incredibly important. And again, the eight exercises that I'm going to recommend today are going to change your life, can change your life. Uh, let me go ahead and list what all eight of them are, and then we'll jump into four of them today. Uh, hopefully we get to all four, and then next week we'll pick up where, where we left off. Number one, fight the problem, not the person. Number two, establish fighting rules. Number three, pause and pray. Number four, own your part 100%. Number five, listen to their feelings. Number six, speak the truth in love. Number seven, forgive their faults. And number eight is oneness. Well, here's a plug, first of all, for me to say to give your life to Christ. Yeah, it's a plug because of all of those eight uh, exercises that we're going to be going through here. The most important thing for you and I to do is to give our life to Christ. These eight exercises are empowered through a relationship with Christ. We can't do any of these eight exercises that I'm about to, to mention Yet the good news is that through a living and growing relationship with Christ, Christ can embody himself and God's very presence with us to implement these exercises in resolving conflict so that we see growth and life change. This is also a plug for marriage counseling. This is a plug for marriage counseling. So not fighting fair and not connecting emotionally have deep, deep roots that usually go back to our family of origin. And professional counseling can truly, truly help you break those patterns. Now, as we're talking about conflict resolution today, you're thinking, why are we talking about conflict resolution? I was beginning to enjoy this sermon series on marriage called uh, marriage, or State of Our Unions, Marriage in Process. I was beginning to enjoy it. We were talking about the roles within marriage. We were talking about mutually effective communication 
And now you want to go and talk about something like conflict in marriage. Uh, well, the Bible speaks of benefits, benefits of resolving conflict. And so let me go over a few of these benefits real quickly to sort of remind us why we're even talking about such a topic. And by the way, the word resolve uh, is, I'm going to be using another word interchangeably here in these sermons. Um, the term is reconciliation. So to resolve or to reconcile means to restore a relationship. So that's what we're talking about whenever we talk about conflict resolution or conflict reconciliation. We want to be restoring a relationship. And here's what the Bible says about that. Here are the benefits of doing so, that it unblocks fellowship with God. So you can't be right with God and wrong with people. You can't say you have a good relationship with God and yet have a bad relationship with your spouse or bad relationship with someone else. 1 John chapter 4, verse 20 says, you can't love God if you don't love your neighbor. Another uh, thing uh, and benefit that resolving conflict does is that it unblocks your prayers. You ever feel like your prayer life is just being blocked in some way? Well, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 says, live with your wife in an understanding way and grant her honor as a fellow heir of God's grace so that your prayers won't be hindered or blocked. Right, conflict resolution with your spouse can unblock your prayers. Another benefit is that conflict resolution unblocks your joy. Matthew chapter five says, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. And that's because you can be successful in the world's eyes, but if your relationships are not in harmony, you don't have true and lasting joy. If you want to see joy unblocked in your life, you need to have conflict resolution being taken place in your relationships. Uh, a, a final benefit, and there are way too many to count, but the final one I'm going to mention here is that it just simply unblocks growth. That resolving conflict causes your marriage to grow. If that's what is, uh, you know that you're lacking in your marriage is growth, it's probably because there's some unresolved conflict. So resolving conflict causes you to simply love each other more and to trust each other more. So let's get into these eight exercises for resolving conflict. Number one is fight the problem, not the person. Now here's some quick reasons why you may be experiencing conflict that might not even be about the marriage, right? You're probably in some conflict right now and you think it's about your spouse. You think it's about something that perhaps they've done wrong. But let me just list a few here that really aren't even about your spouse. Number one, they might just be hungry. <laughs> kind of a funny story about myself is, and those of you who know me very, very well, and my wife who knows me the best would tell you, uh, if Troy's grumpy, a lot of times, not always, but a lot of times he's just simply hungry or he simply just needs to go for a run. Why don't you ask him if he's eaten or if he's gone for his daily run? 
Another thing to remember is that there could be mental health struggles that can have a detrimental effect on the marriage. A couple may be fighting all the time. A couple, uh, one spouse may be wondering, what is wrong here? Why are we constantly getting into arguments? And it could be that the real issue is that one spouse is suffering with anxiety, some sort of mental health, or they're suffering with depression. And we have to be very attentive to mental health, especially in a pandemic, when we're all experiencing more stress than normal. So if you're having a hard time right now in particular, you're not alone. Let's take a deep, a deep breath together. You're not alone in this. And lastly, as way of caveat and getting started here, um, I'd say that you need to grow in emotional intelligence. You need to grow in emotional intelligence. That is, understanding what's going on inside of you. What are you thinking and feeling? And why are you feeling that way? That's what emotional intelligence is. Emotional intelligence is also becoming more and more aware of what your spouse is feeling and why they feel what they feel. And emotional intelligence is having the capacity to relate to others with empathy. So let me give you an image here whenever you think about not uh, fighting the person. So again, our first exercise here is fight the problem, not the person. Let me give you an image of how this usually looks. Many couples are actually fighting each other. They're going at it. They are guns a-blazing, facing one another, about to kill each other. That's how intense and complex it and loud it can really get. Now let me give you a new image. And this is the image that I'm trying to communicate today when I say fight the problem, not the person. The new image I want you to have is you and your spouse standing back to back and fighting against it, fighting against the problem that's coming against both of you. So the old image is you're face to face and you're fighting against the person. The new image I want you to have is you turn back to back and you fight against it. You're on the same team. You are on the same team. Let me give you a memory of mine from middle school of being on a basketball team. Now, you would think that everyone on my basketball team knew that we were all on the same team fighting against the other team. That wasn't the case. Correct. I had one teammate actually steal the basketball from me, run down as hard and fast as he could to the other goal and score a point <laughs> for the other team. Ridiculous. Like, dude, we are on the same team. That's this picture of marriage and fighting the problem, not the person. Your enemy is not one another. Your enemy is it. That is the issue that you're both trying to solve. That's the enemy. That's what you're trying to fight against. And ultimately, your enemy is Satan. That's what the Bible says. Our enemy is Satan, 
who's coming against your marriage. The Bible says that Satan is like a roaring lion seeking to kill and destroy. Here's a question for you to consider in your marriage. As you think about a conflict that you're in, as you think about a fight, perhaps your most previous fight, or a fight that you're in right now, I want you to ask yourselves this question. What difference will this thing we're fighting about right here make in 10 years? What difference will this make? What difference will this fight that we're in right now, what difference will it make in a year or a month? We need to be encouraging one another. We need to remember that we're not fighting one another. We're fighting it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11 says, encourage one another, build one another up. And so when we play the blame game in marriage, when we're tearing one another down, it's of no benefit. It's ridiculous. It's a total waste of time. And so you got a problem with in-laws in your marriage. You got a problem with sex in your marriage. You got a problem with finances in your marriage. You got a problem with scheduling in your marriage. Stop blaming one another. Stop fighting one another and fight it. Fight it. The second exercise here I want to commend to you today is establish some fighting rules. Establish fighting rules. Right, we have conflict because of this simple equation. Right, and I know some of you hate math, so don't freak out. But here's the equation. Let me break it down. Two imperfect people plus two very different people equals conflict. Conflict. Two very imperfect people in marriage, you're going to have conflict. So we need to establish some fighting rules. We know there are going to be some fights. We're sinners. We need to establish some fighting rules. Colossians chapter 3 verse 8 says, Rid yourselves of angry rage. Angry rage simply just means to intimidate someone with threats. Right, it means to, to, to be a bully in the marriage, to intimidate someone. It says to rid yourself of that angry rage. Rid yourselves of malice. It, that means to stop belittling someone and acting like you know their motives in the marriage. To rid yourself of slander, filthy language from your lips. What this means is to have certain words in your marriage that you do not use. Right, you create a list of words that you will not use in your marriage. Make a list of them. I encourage you, make a list of words that are just simply off limits. Don't use words like, you always do that. Those are very inflammatory words there. You always do that. So don't use the you words or the always words. It's better to use words like I. Here's, here's an example. Don't say, you are so selfish. Rather, say, I don't feel supported. I needed your help. 
and I don't feel your support. Some words are going to trigger your spouse, and some words are going to trigger you. Some of these words trigger you into anxiety or depression. Now, one of these words that couples vow to never, ever use is the D word. Right, the D word. No, I don't mean the word damn, because sometimes in an argument or in a fight, the damn word shows up, but the D word is the word divorce. Right, a lot of, couple, a lot of couples say that we're not, we're not going to use that word. That word's off limits. We don't ever want to use the word divorce. We're vowing that we're going to keep this marriage alive. We're going to keep this marriage thriving and growing We're going to make it through this conflict together by God's help. Another rule that you want to establish in fighting is have a timer. Have a timer if you feel the need to have it. Of course, this means a mutually agreed upon timer. I'm not encouraging you to just randomly pull out a timer and start a timer whenever your spouse starts talking. That would be incredibly ridiculous and rude. Do not do that. But a mutually agreed upon timer. Perhaps you both take turns sharing. Maybe it's two minutes or three minutes each. And then let the clock truly be the moderator. It means it's your turn to listen. And maybe the other person gets to ask a few clarifying questions about what you just shared during your two or three minutes or whatever mutually agreed upon time you set up. Another fighting rule would be to have a designated place to deal with it. You you need a designated place to resolve conflict. Now there's an image that pastor and writer John Piper gives that marriages need to have a compost pile. A compost pile. A compost area where we deal with stinky, garbage, uh, hurtful feelings that we're experiencing. He calls that a compost pile. And of course, as we know, that as a compost pile works its magic, (laughs) mysteriously, it eventually fertilizes the marriage. That's why conflict can be good. It's an opportunity But you need to have a designated place to deal with it. So here's an example. Don't bring the compost pile into the bedroom. Yeah, the bedroom, the bed, right before going to sleep, that's not a good place. That's not a good time to be dealing with conflict resolution. In the grocery store, on aisle three, that is not a good place to be dealing with conflict resolution. Have your compost pile at home, somewhere in private, preferably not the bedroom, where you can devote time and attention to actually deal with the conflict. The third exercise here for resolving conflict is to pause and pray. The image I want you to have in your mind here is like that of a remote control where you would simply press the pause button. Yeah, you want to pause and pray. I want you to imagine that you're watching a movie of your fight with your spouse. Right. 
That's kind of scary, I know. But you're watching a movie of it. And the movie is you and your spouse, and you're in that fight. And if you're able to pause that movie, what would you want to happen in the next scene? How would you want to change what you're about to say so that the rest of that conversation and the rest of that fight and the rest of your marriage and life can go in a different direction? Pause. Pause. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18 says, Careless words stab like a sword, but the words of the wise bring healing. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 27 says, Whoever restrains their words has knowledge, and the one who has a cool spirit is a person of understanding. Press the pause button, especially when the argument seems so very petty. And so very nitpicky, press the pause button. Do it together, mutually agree. Hey, you remember Troy talked about that pause button. We need to press the pause button right now. I, I, I need a moment. I, I need to go run around the block. I, I need to go run 20 miles. I, I need some time alone. Um, now, pressing the pause button, let me tell you what it does not mean. It does not mean hanging up on the phone with them. It does not mean if they're texting you and you both have a text thread going there together that all of a sudden you just fall off the text, text thread. It doesn't mean to storm out of the room or to storm off as both of you head to work and you and your spouse deal at work for the next 8, 10, or 12 hours with that conflict. That is horrible. Leaving one... I mean, how does that make someone feel? How do you think that makes your spouse feel whenever you just storm off, or you just hang up, or you just run off right as you both are going to work, and you've just had this blowout, this big fight? It makes them feel abandoned. It makes them feel very insecure and they're, they're just wondering all day long, are we doing okay? Are we going to last? And what you need to do as you're pressing this pause button in your worst fight, look into one another's eyes and say, we're going to get through this. I am so mad with you, but I love you. And we're going to get through this by God's help. And then you can part ways. Then you can go have your moment of silence or go run around the block or go off to work. But take that moment to look into one another's eyes and assure one another that it's going to be okay. Yet, we need to press pause right now. And the opposite of pressing the pause button is in your worst fight, someone storms out of the room, they leave the other person feeling beaten up and abandoned. Or instead of pressing the pause button, you just tear into one another. You just lay into them. Or you totally give them the silent treatment. Your, your silence is violence to them. James 1 tells us to pause and pray. Pause and pray. That if we pray for God's wisdom, James 1 says, if we pray for God's wisdom, God will give it. He will gladly give it to us. So in that moment as you're pausing it, pausing the argument, you say, God, I need your help as I don't know what to say. Turn this into a prayer right now, even as you're listening to this sermon. 
God, I, I have some conflict resolution that I know I need to have courage to deal with, but I don't know what to say. I need your wisdom. I need your courage because I have fear to deal with this conflict. Help us make peace and restore and reconcile these relationships, O oh God. Now, the fourth exercise, this will be our last one for today, is to own your part 100%. Now, oftentimes in, in, in arguments, instead of owning our part 100%, we are so ready to say and focus on the faults of others. It was their wrongdoing. It was their hurtful words. We say, it's, it's your fault. I mean, there's no way I'm going to admit what I did wrong. They need to admit what they did wrong first. You say, it's all their fault. They got to say sorry first. Guess what your spouse is also saying? It's all their fault. They got to say sorry first. Did you get that? Both people are saying the same thing. Neither one willing to budge. Neither one willing to own their part 100%. And so we may try to guess what percentage is their fault, what percentage is, is your fault. And that sort of thinking is very unproductive. It's unproductive. And why do we procrastinate? What is it that makes you and I procrastinate owning our part? I'm going to list three things here real quickly. Number one is fear. Number two is selfishness. Number three is pride. The first one is fear. We don't want to own our part because we're afraid. Genesis chapter three shows us Adam who's afraid. He sinned and then he gets afraid and he hides from God. And this fear, this fear of hiding ourselves from God and not owning our part 100% is what we all deal with in relationships. Vulnerability and, and being exposed is what we're afraid of. And when we get afraid, we end up getting distant. We end up getting defensive. We end up getting demanding and we try to control things. And the more insecure we get, the more distant we get. The more insecure we get, the more defensive we get, and the more demanding we get. And the conflict just gets piled on top of conflict. And so we need to own our part 100%. Second reason we procrastinate owning our part is selfishness. And we're all naturally self-centered. Self-centeredness leads to conflict. Yet if I'm filled with God's love... Almost nothing will make us mad. If I'm filled with self, oh, you can hurt our feelings real quickly. And if I'm at peace with God and with self, hardly anything else can bother us. James chapter 4 verse 1 says, What causes fights? By the selfish desires that are at war inside of you. Now, you've heard this before, perhaps you've even said it, but people say, oh, we're just incompatible. We're just incompatible. Well, of course you're incompatible, as we talked about in a previous sermon here in this series on marriage. Of course you're incompatible because you're both sinners. Yet you can get along with practically anyone 
because you choose to get along with them. And marriage counseling, by the way, in marriage counseling, if you've ever been there, uh, I encourage you to keep going. If you've never been there, have the courage and the humility to go. It will bless you tremendously. But what the marriage counselor is trying their best to tell you is grow up. Grow up. Stop being an immature person. It's not about incompatibility. It's about your inflexibility. Own your part 100%. The third reason why we procrastinate in owning our part is pride. Pride. We're naturally prideful. We're stubborn. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 10 says, Pride only leads to arguments. Think of a conflict you're in right now. Maybe you've been in this conflict for years. And for those of you who haven't been married for years, um, try to imagine uh, being in a conflict for years and the pain that that would cause you and the grief that that would cause you. I want to encourage you in that conflict, whether it's a new conflict or whether it's a recurring conflict, try saying this. I'm sorry. I was only thinking of myself. That's right. Let me repeat it. I'm sorry. I was only thinking of myself. Your spouse is probably going to have a heart attack if you say that. Actually, they won't have a heart attack. Actually, their heart will begin to heal if you say that and mean it when you say it. Their heart will begin to heal if you learn to say, I'm sorry. I was only thinking of myself. I was only being selfish. Owning your part 100%. Have you ever said that in your marriage? Yet how many times are we just selfish in our marriage? The Jesus way is to own your part 100%. Own your sin. Let Jesus reveal to you what your part is. What words you're saying that's causing pain to your spouse, what action you're doing, and what habit you have that's causing pain and conflict in your marriage, or what belief you're having that's not honoring to God, to lead you to taking 100% responsibility. Now, you may not have intended to hurt your spouse. However, your spouse is deeply hurt by your actions and by your words And so the key is to own your part 100%. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24, Jesus says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or your sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. You ever had an argument with your spouse on the way to church? Yeah, that can happen. You ever had an argument or a fight right before going into worship or just before going in to have your own personal prayer time? See, it's better. Jesus, what Jesus just said in Matthew chapter five is that it's better to be reconciled with your spouse than it is to go on in there and start singing hallelujah to God, right? It's better to restore, go and restore that relationship first. 
own your part 100%. And you start with your fault first. Even if you feel like it's 99.99999% their fault, you focus with your part, not their part. Don't focus on their part. Focus on your part. Take responsibility instead of excusing yourself or blaming your spouse. Now, in conclusion, as we come to a close here, back to the image of the compost pile. Conflict resolution is like this compost pile. God is able, God is powerfully able to take all of the nasty and stinky parts of the compost pile and turn it into fertilizer. He can turn it into fertilizer. He can use the conflict and the conflict resolution and that process of resolving and restoring the relationship to bring about fertilizer that's actually going to cause the marriage to grow. So look to Christ. Look to Christ for wisdom, courage, and strength to do these exercises. Number one, fight the problem, not the person. Number two, establish fighting rules. Number three, pause and pray. Number four, own your part 100%. And just remember, it's always more rewarding to resolve the conflict than to, resolve, than to dissolve the relationship. Why don't we pray right now for God to enable us and to empower us to restore these relationships? Let's pray. Father God, we need you to heal relationships that are hurting. We need you to help us stop fighting one another and begin to fight our problems together. Help us lean on your wisdom and your courage and your leadership as we resolve our conflict. We need you to help us own our part 100%. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.